Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. Thanks, Ryan and Heather, for having me. Um, fun to uh, to have a conversation with you today. So, yeah, I am Jed Ayers. I'm the CEO of iGel. iGel has historically been known as, a, especially in Europe, as a you know dominant, thin client uh, player. I joined the company four years ago uh, with the sort of charge of bringing the uh, company into the United States. They tried a few times, so that was my uh, goal was to bring iGel into the U.S., but not necessarily as a thin client company, really orienting it around the IP, around the, the operating system. And, um, you know, really the other charge was to take over marketing. Um, and so all the marketing up until uh, I got here uh, had been done in German. So this was like a transition to put it in English, bring it into the U.S., and really invert the story and, and emphasize the operating system and the management console. So... Yeah, it's been in a remarkable ride over the last four years. We've more than doubled the size of the company, both in people and in revenue. And uh, suddenly finding ourselves in the middle of you know, the largest companies in the world uh, that are you know, really you know, getting huge value out of a Linux operating system to connect to the cloud workspaces. Um, so you know, how we describe ourselves today is we're like this edge operating system that's sort of hyper-tuned uh, to, to, to consume a Citrix or a VMware or a Microsoft or an Amazon. And, uh, you know, the operating system is a super important part of the layer of technology. Uh, the fact that we can put it on all kinds of x86 uh, and soon ARM uh, devices and breathe a lot of life into older devices and extend the life of them, make them easier to manage, make them more secure, and ultimately deliver a really good experience to the end user. That's really what our value proposition has been. And uh, it's been really fun to uh, to work for a company that has such a p- great piece of technology, uh, has a, a great culture around innovation, around sort of just partnering, uh, not only with you know, customers, but also this big, broad ecosystem of, uh, of people. And I think we're at an inflection point in the world right now where Linux is suddenly extraordinarily relevant um, on the desktop of, of your, your average worker. And so, yeah, we, we find ourselves with a super mature piece of technology uh, at a moment, especially with COVID, where um, you know, you have, the edge has become more important than ever and the cloud has become more important than ever. Yeah, so that's, that's me. <laughs> It's funny you mentioned, mentioned Linux. Um, Heather and I have been discussing in, in our sort of weekly catch-ups how much I hate Windows 10. Um, and, and hate's probably a strong word. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I've really struggled, uh, you know, compared to Windows 7 and that stability just with, with the, the way that, that Windows 10 is operating now. Um, I don't believe it's actually meant to go into laptops. Uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's meant for a virtual desktop. And I, and I think it, the, the idea is to get to something like an Agile, an Agile at least. Um, to give you a thin client or use your, your your own device to connect to your corporate device that's hosted in, in a cloud environment. And, and you can then have an evergreen Windows 10 build 
that that's looked after, etc. That that run on, on known infrastructure, a known um, infrastructure, uh, and stable, uh, and roll out as quickly as they wanted to roll out. Where, you know, the average consumer using a laptop now, you know, with this, the 2014 update fails every time you do that. You know, end users shouldn't be dealing with that kind of stuff. Um, and and I, yeah, I think you guys are going to be well positioned in the future. Though this is not a prediction or, or financial advice. But I think you're going to be in a good position in the market because you offer that gateway to, as you say, from the edge into the the cloud. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy because, of course, you have to have this religious moment where you realize, all right, Windows is great, but it's best consumed out of out of the cloud, right, where it can be centrally managed and um, secured and patched. And um, you know, okay, we've had this sort of 35 years of you know, this idea that freedom was created, right? The whole like PC revolution and, and there's a lot of emotional attachment that comes with, this is my PC. I have my, uh, you know, applications and my data sit on this device. Um, and I think we're, the world is actually ready for this radical departure from that, right? That says, nope, it doesn't matter really about the device, right? The, the device could be any device, um, you know, as long as it's tuned to deliver a great experience from the, uh, from these cloud uh, applications. And and I think that's where we're headed, right? Because for 35 years, it was sort of like this hamster wheel of, you know, yeah, okay, uh, I'm going to give you a bigger processor and Microsoft is going to give you a more powerful, bigger, you know, operating system. And we've got to this point where it's just almost unwieldy, right? Uh, to your point, you know, especially when you have hundreds of millions of people that are now working from home, getting that update from Microsoft <laughs> several times a week can be extraordinarily disruptive and hard for companies to manage through that. Um, so yeah, and it's very expensive. I mean, when we see the, we, and I get a bird's eye view of a lot of the customers that are, you know, have made it to windows 10 and they have, you know, one person to 250 endpoints that they're managing. You're like, Whoa, that ratio. We have, we have customers that have 30, 50,000 devices that are being managed by a single person. Yeah. Um, that there's a, there's like a huge difference. So, I mean, when we think about Linux, we look at it and go, okay, Linux is one everywhere, right? Like there's no place in compute where Linux isn't pervasive, right? Whether it's embedded, you know, your Tesla, your medical devices, your ATMs, your gas pumps, you know, your, your cell phones, four out of five cell phones are using a Linux derivative all the way up to like, you know, every cloud workload, pretty much every supercomputer, the one place where Linux has not, you know, dominated is on the on the on the desktop. We think this is going to change. And you and you can see that now with the distributions that are available. I mean, I've I've rebuilt a machine now which I've started using on a Linux distro, and and barring finding the apps that you used to in the Windows and the ecosystem, it's pretty much like for like. And you just need to find that app. You know, like I need to find Drive equivalent, for example. Right. Um, but you can find you've got you know, many mail apps. You've got uh, LibreOffice that's that works with with Office files. So, so that transition, which used to be very difficult, you know, is now a lot easier. Um, yeah, well, I think Microsoft is actually going to make it a lot easier too, right? Because yeah. their whole emphasis is to put everything into Azure, right? So, uh, the 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 receiving device is in the operating system it's running. While they would like to keep it on Microsoft, the new ethos around Satya is. You know, as long as uh, as long as we're you know, growing Azure at 50% quarter over quarter, that's where the real value of Microsoft that's being created, right? And 
I think we watched what they did with Office 365, right? In 2014, 2015, when Satya took over, it was almost unheard of to be running Exchange and, you know, the whole Office franchise was very on-prem, right? Now, it's all in Azure, right? 80-plus percent of every enterprise is running their, uh, you know, Office 365. I think the next frontier is how do we get all these Win32 apps you know, migrated up into into Azure. How do we get the whole desktop and application experience being delivered from Azure? That's the next sort of you know big transition, and that that's where iGel comes in and sort of slides in underneath that as the as the perfect uh, operating system to take cost out and just simplify, make it easier to uh, secure it. I mean, security is a huge deal and part of what's driving our business is all these ransomware attacks. And, mm. you know, we saw people that sent people home with brand new laptops that have, you know, $3,000 laptops with Windows 10 on it. And like literally the first day they get hit with ransomware. Jeez. Um, and so this is the security message around Linux just being sort of so hardened, right? A read-only file system that, you know, really is... Uh, it's very difficult to insert um, malware and you know all the virus stuff that comes uh, you know along with Windows. Um, you know with iGel, it's like literally the device if if it doesn't have the checksums and the boot sequence, it won't even start. It just doesn't start. It's like bricked, right? So a lot, a lot of chain of trust and sort of things that can be done with security when you're dealing with like a super small operating system. That's the other key, right? This operating system is now down below a gig, right? The smallest uh, Windows uh, distribution is uh, the IoT, which is around 16 gigs. I mean, there's a big difference between, you know, less than a gig and a 16 gig, right, in terms of attack surface. Um, so, yeah, this, I think security is going to become a bigger part of the story, especially with how distributed the workforce is right now. No, exactly. I mean, we, we've talked to some other guests about that and, and people that are working from home, you know, walking around in their gardens and talking on conference calls, uh, leaving paperwork open, leaving desktops unlocked because they're at home now and they're safe. Um, you, need, you need to re-educate everybody because they don't have that sanctity of an office necessarily. Uh, or they're going to be working in co-working places now more yeah. than a, a, an HQ kind of office. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was something you mentioned I wanted to, to touch on. You, you mentioned um, the this, this, this size of the distribution being under one gig versus 16 or, or I think 21 gigs is, is the size of Windows 10. I mean, when you guys distribute your, your new uh, updates and releases, is that then streamed to a device or how do, how do you handle that? I'm just curious. Yeah, so uh, the, the thing about Agile is it's funny. We, we sort of monetize and we talk a lot about the operating system. Um, but the actual, there's about, I would say, sort of half the value of, of the co- company's IP is in that operating system and all the things that are, you know, built around it. But the other half of it is this management console, right? It's this idea that, hey, we're going to build a management console that um, can sort of precisely manage, um, you know, over 7,000 different settings on that device once it has an iGel OS on it, right? And we call it the universal management um Suite, right? The UMS. So it's it's this management console that you can write policy, you can write scripts and automation around, and you can basically, you know, you can have visibility to your, you know, tens of thousands of devices, and you can update the the operating system 
And you can do it in a way where literally we can send an entire update to the operating system without restarting it. The user can still be on the device working. So it's way less disruptive than, uh, than say, the monolithic you know, code that's being sent down to update a Windows device. And that, that, that's sort of echoes what I was saying, what I was saying my experience with the, with the 2014 update. I mean, the amount of times that I've come in the morning, my machine is rebooted without me knowing what, what why. Um, and then also being, you know, the, the updates are failing all the time. So you can't carry on doing something because it's half installed and half, you know, half baked some functionality. It's very frustrating. Yeah. We want to remove that friction. Heather, do you want to jump in with anything? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I guess what I'm, um, sort of curious about now is how this whole new world of work has changed things for your customers, changed things for, you know, bringing in new business. Has this time been, you know, how has this time been for IGLR people? You know, is this a time where your technology has really been a good fit for what the market needs or how, how has your experience been with the whole remote work? Yeah, it's been really positive overall. Obviously, we're all adjusting to it. I like to say I'm, you know, um, been stuck in my uh, white padded cell here for the last eight months, and so mm-hmm. that's been uh, obviously quite a bit of getting used to is, is sort of managing uh, 400 plus people without having to ever being able to go see them and just doing everything through Zoom. Um, that's created a whole new set of skills and you know uh, tactics to try to stay connected with people. But as far as IGEL goes, our business, um, while it's Q2 was a little bit of a challenge because everybody sort of, you know, especially in Europe, was sent home and, you know, life kind of came to a screeching halt for uh, about 60 days. And so we didn't have a great Q2. Uh, But what I would say is the tailwind coming out of Q2 as people started to figure out, hey, we need to, you know, harden these environments. We need to secure them. We need to get, you know, tens of thousands of people working at home. Uh, we started to see the benefit, you know, the, we, we started get jumping in and helping people. Um, and so that was, that's been the, you know, the thing we're not zoom. So you don't just like download the software and run with it. We are a hyper sort of tuned, uh, piece of, of the architecture, right? So we actually demand kind of ex- rigorous, extensive testing of, Mm-hmm. peripherals and workflows we want it to work just as good or better than a fat client and so uh the, 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 it's not a uh it's not like an immediate uh satisfaction right we we're seeing a big build up in the number of people interested and we're doing more testing and long term it's a huge benefit we're going to be a huge beneficiary of this change yeah and i think you you mentioned the, the ability to reuse hardware um, I think there's, there's a lot of organizations that, that have been, would, would benefit from not having to get rid of, you know, um, laptops that they would have got rid of previously after three years or whatever it is. If, if you can reuse it for, yeah. especially in the case of the pandemic where, you know, a lot of people were sent home on the day because of a lockdown and they never worked on a laptop at home before that had a physical desktop or, and they needed to now provision or go buy, you know, laptops from the nearest computer shop. Um, just get any, any device they could, uh, where the performance of metrics on that, on that device probably wouldn't have been suitable for, for normal, normal working. You could use something like your technology to connect into a cloud environment and be up and running. Definitely. I mean, we're, that's one of my favorite, obviously, uh, things we lead with, right? I'm, I'm a, a, a product of the hippie generation of California. 
So uh, I love the Mother Earth, and I, I hate the uh, you know the fact that we've been on this, like I said before, the hamster wheel of, okay, every three years you're going to throw that laptop away, and you're going to get a new one, right? Um, and, and that creates whatever, 50 million tons of e-waste a year, right? When you think about just sort of how, how we think about this pursuit of the new shiny object. And so one of the things that's been most gratifying about this job is like, you know, we we walk into huge companies that um, are working with the big players out there uh, that are sort of built on this sort of three-year refresh, right? And they're like, hey, you need to get rid of these 12,000 devices. And we tell, we tell them, no way, actually, check this out. You don't need to get rid of them. We can just put this software on there. It's like, you know, I have a 2016 Tesla, right? And it's like the car has... It runs faster and has more features than it did when I was, you know, when I bought it in 2016. iGel kind of delivers that same value proposition to some old HP device, right? We actually suddenly make the device more functional, faster, and deliver, you know, more secure, better user experience, right? So this whole idea of software defined, it's very real. And especially when you're delivering, when you're consuming stuff out of the cloud, all the compute you know, and the horsepower that you need is up, up there, right. In the cloud. And so, yeah, this has been a remarkable for me, right. To be able to walk in, I've been selling it for 25 years and to be able to tell somebody, look, you're going to be able to get another three to five years out of that, that device. Um, and you're doing it times tens of thousands of devices. This is like a very special moment. Um, and people are, you know, are, are investing in iGel and making careers for themselves, right? It's not too often you can walk into a CFO's office and be like, I just saved you $6 million, right? And it's it's plain as day. Yeah. Yeah, and you can really tell, I think that customers love IGEL and that people are really excited by IGEL. I guess, what do you what do you think is the secret behind why you guys have been able to build such a great community and really loyal uh, customer base? Well, I mean, I look back to like the uh, ethos of our founder, um, you know, he's this sort of entrepreneurial German, maybe he's not your traditional German sort of, sort of more rigid, right? He's like a sort of open, uh, to a lot of new ideas. He's very, uh, curious and, you know, very empowering, um, to, to the, uh, to the team that built the software, but he's also a super good listener. So a lot of the, the value that's in, inherent in this management tool and all the partnerships that are built into the to the operating system, these are built out of listening, right? Listening to our customers. And, uh, you know, the, the sort of nature of, of Linux is such that you can, you can sort of build these little partitions with the code, right? And you're like, oh, that this customer needs that. And then you're like, oh, well, there's a lot of customers that would like that. So that partition then gets hardened into the operating system. And yeah, I think we, there, there's just sort of an ethos around partnering, understanding what that actually means and doing it with trust and integrity. Yeah, that that drives this company. And then, you know, the idea of hiring great people, empowering them. I mean, for me, it's been a gift. I, I, I actually, you know, feel so lucky to leave this company because there's a level of passion uh, that sort of comes along with this, you know, this once in 35 year architectural change that is like this little German company that maybe a lot of people have never heard of on the stage with, Microsoft and Amazon and 
VMware and Citrix and extraordinarily relevant right now, right? And so this is quite a, uh, there's just a lot of passion in the company, right? That pulsates through. And I think it extends out into the community. You've, I know, talked to Doug Brown and the work that he's done. I mean, he has 5,000 people in that, in an online Slack community. Hmm. They're, they're in 84 countries. They're, they represent about 3,500 unique companies. Um, and so, yeah, this is a very special thing too, right? This fact that digitally through the IGEL community, we're having like, you know, I think they've exchanged you know, 156,000 messages in the last year on that, you know, and they're solving each other's problems. And it's not just about IGEL, it's about, you know, the whole end user compute solution. So yeah, that's a special thing. And then of course, we've also aimed at creating the, before COVID, we were creating a physical version of that, right. With disrupt. And we meant to just sort of, we want to have the conversation, right. These hard conversations about where, where's the world going and how can we support, be supportive through that. So yeah, I think I've learned um, so much uh, in this role and being at this company, but it, also being part of like an ecosystem, right? Um, and I know Heather, you work for Lakeside and Lakeside's, uh, you know, a super important partner to IGEL. You were actually one of the first partners that we actually um, brought in from the analytics and baked into the OS, right? And I think you guys even filed a patent for the ability to see all the way to an IGEL device um, inside of Lakeside. So. Yeah, it's been remarkable for me. I think uh, the word I would use is partnership is the is the true different differentiator. Not use that word's used uh, widely, right? Um, and it has different meanings, but I think IGEL really understands what it means to create a high value partner. Yeah, I'd love to be able to attend uh, an in-person disrupt event one day, <laughs> maybe you know two three years from now. Who even knows anymore? But. Um, Hopefully sooner than that, I would hope. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Uh, it really depends where you are in the world, I guess. But um, well, for me, I have this picture that almost brings tears to my eye when I use it in presentations. I I almost hesitate to use it because it's like it's a picture we took of a drone with uh at the last disrupt conference. We always do our kickoff right before it, and literally, it's the four hundred, you know, whatever twenty five people in the company in these chairs, no masks on, right? Because it was February 5th of this year. Before well, we knew. <laughs> uh, I flew home from there uh, after taking the torch of, you know, the, the new, taking on the global CEO role, right? It was all about, hey, I'm going to be very present in Europe. I'm not just this American, you know, CEO. I'm going to, I'm going to be over here. And of course, six weeks later, I was literally, it was the Friday uh, before we shut everything down where I couldn't fly over there that I was actually scheduled to return. So, and of course I haven't been able to go back since. So yeah, it's been a remarkable year when you think about that moment to where we are right now. Yeah. Sorry guys. I need to, um, got a personal issue to go deal with my wife's not feeling very well. I'll leave it running so you guys can just carry on. All right. Okay, thanks, Ryan. Okay, right. Thanks, Jeff. Good to meet you. Your wife's oh, all right. Yes. Cheers, eh? Bye. Bye. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting one to edit together. Um, I guess, uh, you know, I'd love to just talk a little bit about how those virtual events went from your, you know, from IGEL's perspective and whether you were able to kind of capture the same energies in person or has it sort of been um, a learning experience? Well, definitely a learning experience. Yeah. Uh, these digital events were... Uh, we did the first one in June in the U.S. It was more U.S. time zone oriented. 
And uh, I think it was remarkable in terms of just exactly how fast we could pull together content and the number of people that were involved. There was over 50 sessions and also the number of people that signed up for it. Um, and you know, then of course the one thing with physical events has always been like, okay, we could spend tens of thousands of dollars to try to like capture all the video. And then we'd have to edit it and get it into a place where people could consume it. The beautiful thing about these online events is that we did 50 sessions and immediately they're all available for consumption thereafter. So I see that as like a positive and the number of people that were able to attend it was positive. But of course, just the energy and the, the organic things that happen, it's hard to recreate that, right? In a, a digital setting and maybe we'll get better. We'll probably laugh about the way you and I are interacting 10 years from now, right? As mm -hmm. It, you know, the kids today are going to say, oh, this is a very 1.0 kind of interface yeah. right? as the uh, technology gets more. Get my uh, Oculus on and right. we'll just be, yeah. So, yeah, I think, yeah, that's that. that uh, it's, it's clear to me that humans are more resilient and faster to adapt than anyone gives them credit for. Right. I love the quote from Satya where he said two, two years worth of digital transformation in two months in June. That's what he said in, in their earnings. Right. And you kind of think about some of the customers that I saw. Right. That sort of had said, oh, well, there's a portion of people that we have working from home, but we'd never let these people move, work from home. And then suddenly a call center with five thousand people in, in you know, weeks time are all working from home. And then I think shocking everyone with better customer stat scores and faster answering the phone and all the KPIs that they would use to measure these people went way up. Right. And yeah, so I think this made the, the inertia that was in the system, you know, just sort of resistant to some of this technology, it just got wiped out. So that to me is also pretty exciting for what we work you know, on every day. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think, you know, as, as uh, challenging as I'm sure it was, I think it was still pretty um, remarkable to see those disrupt events come together and, you know, getting the live, you know, music entertainment and everyone on board and all those partners to come together in really a short time frame was still pretty, you know, remarkable, I think. And you still really managed to make it feel like, you know, an exciting, um, you know, conference sort of environment. And, you know, I've, I've been attending uh, a few of these virtual events because now, you know, sort of one of the upsides is that a lot of them are free and super easy to attend. You know, you just have to log in. So right. uh, yeah, that is the upside, right? It's like all these events that you used to have to pay $2,000 to go to, plus all the, the travel fees and everything. Suddenly you're able to get all that, uh, you know, without having to do that pay or take, take the time to go do it. So yeah, that, that's got to be a big upside, but there, there's something magical about humans being face to face. And one thing I think, Heather, that will get out of this is like, we don't take for granted. The next time I'm able to sit with you and look across the table and share a meal with you, that's the one thing I really miss, right? I think people mm -hmm. find um, a lot of like common, you know, human spirit connection over food, right? Like over a drink or over, yeah. over a meal together and, you know, I really miss that. I mean, my family loves that I'm here and I'm cooking meals for them every day. But, uh, you know, it's the, the business uh, that happened, the relationships that get built in business over kind of meals and, and in the hallways. Um, 
it's hard to get some of that through through the Zoom. Yeah, it's really hard to replace. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, I'd love to talk about, too, you know, like what's new with IGEL and what's coming and, you know, how are you envisioning this whole, you know, future of work? Yeah, I mean, we the way I saw a chart the other day, I wish I could, uh, I'll just try to visualize it for you, but it was a great chart that came out from Gartner and they sort of showed like, hey, maybe at the maximum, there was about 300 million people that were enabled to work remotely uh, in the world um, in, in the end of 2019. And that seems about right to me, right? When you think Citrix probably has 100 million customers and VMware and Microsoft, you know, the, the, okay, so this is a number you can all kind of agree on. Well, in Q1 and Q2, you essentially saw that shoot up to like over a billion, right? Um, and then that to me becomes the high watermark for kind of like, okay, everybody needs to be sort of ready to, you know, see that happen again. Right. And of course we're headed into these lockdowns right now, even right. Where we could be in for a sort of a dark period. And so business continuity in my mind has sort of, uh, taken on a new context, right? The most important thing in business continuity is human beings being able to do their job and potentially need to be able to do it at home. So I think there's like this really interesting, you know, opportunity for all of us right now, as we, help companies sort of, you know, uh, harden the architecture for those billion plus people to, uh, to flex there. And the, the chart's interesting because it goes to 2024 and it shows about 600 million people sort of ending up remotely indefinitely. Right. So mm -hmm. almost double in a um, four year period from the 300 million to, to, to 600. So I think, uh, you know, that's remarkable too, because those will be people that are just a hundred percent of the time sitting at home. So, uh, yeah, I think when I think about the exciting future of IGEL, the work from home use case and the things we've done around the UD pocket, uh, you know, for BYOD, uh, or, um, just, you know, the security, um, factors and the performance factors, all these things loom large in, in, in helping people, helping those billion people figure out how to do that. And maybe we're not the right answer for all of them, but geez, if we can be an answer for a fraction of that, yeah. um, we can build a hugely relevant company. Um, and I think the part that's interesting for us is that we can sit underneath the, the core leaders that deliver this stuff. Um, and that to me, and so when you asked about the future, that'll be the future, right? It's really about yeah. how do we become, you know, super easy to connect to these solutions, right? In a way today where there's not as much testing required and some of the friction of, of it, uh, you know, uh, the, the proof of value or proof of concept that has to happen with every deployment today and, you know, testing each device, like hopefully we get to a more ubiquitous and less friction to like connect to those services. Yeah. That, that's my vision at least. Yeah, it's certainly a lucky time, you know, to be in technology and to be able to solve like some of the most critical pain points for our customers. I know we, you know, helped to, you know, move tens of thousands of employees home to basically, you know, before you had this huge office building or a few where everyone would be. And now it's, you know, thousands of mini office buildings, you know, distributed across the globe. So it's definitely been um, a huge shift. And, really fascinating to, uh, experience firsthand, but, yeah. um, I guess, do you, what do you, what is your hope for, you know, Agile as a company? Do you see sort of 
in-person offices, like the magic and collaboration that happens there still being an important part of your culture? Or is that something yeah, you're uh, evaluating? I have a story for you on that. We, uh, we have two offices that are pretty big in Germany, one in Northern Germany where um, the company started in, in Bremen and the other one's in Augsburg, just outside of Munich where all our developers are. And then we have offices in the UK and San, in San Francisco. But the big, big you know, places were in Munich and um, or outside of Munich and Augsburg and Bremen. And in the middle of the pandemic, like uh, in um, April, we signed leases on new offices, office parks in both of these companies. And yeah. I, I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is kind of an unbelievable like moment that we would we would do this. Now, um, we had a, it was a gut check, right? Like, okay, we have 200 people and there's about a hundred in each one of those locations. And we wanted to like modernize it. We're busting out of the seams of the, uh, location and, uh, where all our developers are, they're actually in three different buildings. And so we remain sort of like, uh, very convinced that you're going to still need to be around people, especially developers. They do a lot of things that are, you know, collaborative, and so actually I feel pretty good about the fact that we, we locked in on these spaces and yeah, they'll probably be built out a little bit different than we might've imagined at the beginning of this year for sort of that very flexible, you know, uh, work style. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I still invested in real estate and, uh, you know, I think it's all about having flexible, modern kind of thought processes. And I just saw Google in the midst of the whole, you know, craziest thing that's happening in San Francisco. They just signed a huge lease for more real estate in downtown San Francisco. I'm sure they're getting it at a, you know, really low price, but, um, you know, I think long-term, like we talked about before, humans need to be around humans and, um, offices aren't going to completely evaporate. So, yeah, no, I agree. Um, well, is there anything coming up with IGEL that, um, you know, folks might be interested in, uh, learning more about? Yeah, well, I think we're going to uh, you know, stay tuned for a, uh, a whole series of I think we're going to create the digital uh, you know, uh, you know, events that we've done virtually. We're going to have a huge series of, of things we do next year and we're going to just sort of make it super easy to like opt into it where it'll be like you know, disrupt as a service, if you will. Right. So this whole ongoing conversation uh, that will host throughout the year digitally. Obviously we expect that to be kind of continue, uh, to be in a pretty virtual format. So we're going to try We're You're going to see a whole series of things. We're actually starting to do our own, uh, video series with thought leaders, kind of like what you do here, Heather, right. Okay. Um, called look out Attic. for that. Sorry. And what's it called? I cut you off. Attic. And the, the origin story of IGEL is that it started in Bremen, in a you know, corner attic um, with, with the founder. And then there was an attic in Augsburg where they did the development. And I started here in San Francisco, also in the attic. So we have this sort of, not a garage, but an attic story uh, that's pretty humble. And that's, that's the name of it. So I look out for that. And I think, yeah, I guess just also continue to look out for the innovation that's coming from the operating system and the management over 2,500 like new things built into the, uh, the product. You can look for some big announcements around arm in the uh, coming weeks. I think you'll see some big announcements around some of the, you know, the, uh, mainstream hardware vendors out there that, uh, you know, every names that everyone knows and loves, you're going to see more of them sort of like, uh, attaching IGEL, you know, uh, at the factory. 
So kind of like an our, our already iGel, you know, cert- certified and burned in device, whether that's a laptop or a, you know, like a desktop or a thin client. So I think that's also a really exciting moment for iGel, right? As an operating system company to see huge tech companies basically saying, okay, you know, this is best in class product. You know, we're going to, we're going to basically license it onto our hardware. Um, like a, like a true OEM iGel inside type thing. So, uh, powered by iGel. So I think that those are exciting moments for the company just in terms of broadening our, our, our reach. Yeah, no, that's super cool. Looking forward to watching all of that unfold. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for, yeah. Thanks for the, being a supporter of iGel and being part of this community. And, you know, I think that's the other thing that excites me is just that the whole problem we've all been trying to solve for 20 years is suddenly a very mainstream problem. Right. And, uh, you know, this is something that I think has a, our little eco chamber of, you know, end user compute, the, you know, whatever it is, six, five, 10,000 people that wake up every day and really, you know, have wrestled with this all of a sudden, this is a mainstream conversation. Right. So the, the, this is our moment, the year of VDI we've been joking about for years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's finally arrived. It's 10 years late and it came, uh, obviously through a, a somewhat, uh, painful global crisis, but, um, here we are ready to help the world. Right. Definitely. Well, um, if our listeners want to follow you on uh, social media, where should they uh, look out for you? Well, I'm um, m- most uh, oriented around LinkedIn. You can just find me at J- just Jed Ayers, J-E-D, last name Ayers, A-Y-R-E-S, and um, same on Twitter. So, yeah, those are the two big ones that I um, that I use. Fantastic. Well, I'm super excited to, uh, you know, keep following Nigel and all the great work you're doing. And uh, thanks again so much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, well, um, I hope you have a great rest of the year, Heather. And here's to uh, 2021 being yeah. a, a whole lot uh, better for everybody. So yeah. thanks, thanks again. Hopefully it can only go up from here. So, yeah. all right. Well, thanks, Jed. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.